0: Welcome to Affect Autism. With the back to school season in full swing, I thought it would be great to have a chat with Dr. Gil Tippy of the Rebecca School in New York City and talk about a concept that is very near and dear to his heart, which is foundation academics. So welcome, Dr. Tippy.
1: Hey, how are you? It's nice to be here. I'm glad we were finally able to put this together.
0: Yes, thank you. Um, Dr. Tippy, let's talk a little bit about what we mean by foundation academics because uh, I have blogged before about the functional, emotional, developmental capacities that we talk about in the DIR model, the Developmental Individual Differences Relationship-Based Model, and we talk about how children have these developmental stages that they go through and neurotypical kids typically go through these stages before they reach kindergarten but our children with developmental challenges have struggles getting to these higher capacities four five and six and some of them really need a lot of time to even work through the first three capacities and maybe you can refer a little bit to these capacities when you talk to foundation academics but my understanding is that um, before we get into academics and teaching children the alphabet and learning to read write and do math if they don't have these early foundational capacities described in the DIR model it's going to be a real challenge for them to learn academics without it being memory-based. And that's, I think, what you mean by Foundation Academics. So I'll let you uh, take it from there.
1: Well, so I came up with the notion of Foundation Academics to help parents to understand that the things that they think of as traditional academics, the reading and writing and arithmetic that has been standard curriculum for so long, Um, are things that are dependent on developmental stages, developmental capacities that have happened before kids even get to school. So neurotypical kids um, get to what you've been calling functional emotional developmental capacity six by 48 months. And that's um, before school ever started. You know, school didn't start, first of all, there was no um, compulsory school until a certain point in our history on this continent and then uh, school wasn't compulsory before my time until second grade, until the age of seven and then that's when all of the traditional academics started. Then it got pushed down to um, first grade. By the time I went to school reading and all of those functions began in first grade, which is still a little early, but which is, you know, we were able to do it. I didn't do it particularly well. I never learned to read. Particularly well, until I was about uh, sixteen, but um, you know, my classmates learned fairly fairly well. Then it got pushed down. After my time, it got pushed down into kindergarten. Now it's been pushed down to nursery school. We have kids trying to learn to read in nursery school, and they a lot of them don't have these strong foundations, these early developmental capacities, the ability to sit in a chair and listen to what a teacher has to say and add it to their. Uh, thought in their head and put out this third thing, which is the production of a traditional academic system and Unfortunately, those kids really, really suffer and you can see it throughout the educational system where we have you know people making tons and tons of money doing reading support and having all kinds of extra classes because kids are challenged so I came up with this notion of uh, funk of um of these early academic skills, so that parents wouldn't always be saying, "Well, why aren't we doing math? Why aren't we doing multiplication? Why aren't we doing division? Why why aren't we doing uh, earth science?" Um, and it's because until you get these early academic skills down, the ability to stay calm and regulate the ability to open and close some simple circles, the ability to be in a more or less continuous flow with another human being, the ability to then make this beautiful, amazing leap to symbolism and abstract thought and then jump into that stage when you can really collaborate with another human being and make bridges between these logical ideas. Until you can get there, there the, the other stuff can be taught in a memory-based way but it has very little flexibility and meaning. So I wanted people to understand without this foundation, without these foundation academics, um, you weren't going anywhere. So that's why I came up with the concept.
0: And I like that you described the memory-based learning as lacking flexibility and meaning because I do hear some parents of autistic children saying, oh, he taught himself to read at age two or three, and oh, he reads everything. And then I'll say, well, um, that's great. They can decode letters and sentences. Now the next challenge is, will they be able to comprehend what they're reading and take it a step further? And like you said, um, think about it abstractly, applying what they're reading to what they already know and producing yet a third thought or a a result and being able to reflect on what they read and and things like that. So can you just speak a little bit more to that um, flexibility and meaning
1: that... Well, parents... Well, I I, I get what you're asking. Um, Parents see their brilliant, adored children... And they are brilliant kids decoding and these brilliant uh, brains trying to make meaning of the world and doing it in a memory-based way. It's, it's lovely, it's, it's, it is the basis for what we'd like to do, but you cannot navigate your entire life with your memory. And any educational system that does what I've been calling lately the uh, dropping rocks in a bucket kind of teaching right so it's the notion that I have discrete chunks of learning that I'm going to drop in the bucket of your head um, and then I'm going to fill your head up with those rocks and eventually that's going to be useful knowledge to you any system that's operating like that is totally unuseful because you can only hold so much in a great memory in a beautiful memory so you have to be able to be flexible you have to be able to think abstractly. You have to be able to imagine how the world would be if it were different than it is directly in front of us right now. That's what fantasy play is for kids. Um, and that allows you to walk into any situation, even if you have no prior knowledge of it, and figure out what's going on. It's also about creativity. Now, if you look at the jobs that are gonna be available to our kids in the 21st century, these are not jobs where um, some rote skill done over and over again is going to be useful. Those those jobs are not going to exist. The jobs that our kids are going to be able to get are going to be dependent on their ability to think abstractly and to think creatively, to problem solve. And that's not just kids uh, who have challenges developmentally. That's all of our kids are going to have to think flexibly and enter a world where um, creative thought is what differentiates human thought from other thoughts. Um, It's really, really important to be able to um, support kids and not just drop chunks of knowledge on them.
0: Yeah, and I think there's also a little bit of a distinction. um, What you said about navigating based on your memory uh, won't serve us going forward. So if you talk about... um, you know, oh, my my child knows how to read, and you say, well, it's all memory-based. No, no, they don't memorize it. I showed them a new text they've never seen before, and they read it. Now, that's not what you mean by
1: memorized. No. Um, So if you can decode, but you can't understand what the concepts behind what you're decoding are, um, then reading is useless. I mean, that's just um, taking a symbol on the page, realizing that it makes this sound, putting that together, coming up with the word, putting the words together, so that it sounds like a coherent sentence. But if somebody then asks, why did that boy do that in that story? And you have no idea why the boy did it. You can't infer anything from the actions of another human being, even if it's in writing. Uh, Then you're really stuck. Just being able to decode is not uh, the necessary skill. The necessary skill is comprehending what it is that's being read. And not just factual material. I mean, there. Are, I know a lot of kids who are deeply, in, and adults who are deeply interested in purely factual material. Well, factual material is fine, but that's not even the deepest uh, or the most useful function of language. The most useful function of language, and the really great speech and language pathologists will say this to you, the most important function of language is to describe interstates and to try to communicate with another human being something that's going on inside of you that they could not possibly know. That is not a fact, but is something that is uh, an interstate for you. That's what collaboration actually means, um, and that's going to be the most important skill for 21st century kids. So just being able to decode and being able to understand the, the uh, basic factual meaning of stuff is not enough.
0: So let's talk about that inner state that you referred to because um, this all sounds good, but parents might say, okay, so what do I need to do then? That is my child. He is learning, he is reading everything, but maybe he's only decoding. What do I need to do? And when I hear you say that um, you, you eventually want to get to a point where one of the things you can do is describe what's happening inside of you Um, One of the precursors to doing that would be feeling every emotion that happens, being able to label it, describe it, and in order to do that, you have to be in a relationship with somebody who can co-regulate with you and help you um, make sense of what's happening and allow, allow children to experience all their emotions, express all their emotions, to begin to recognize the difference between different emotions and do you want to take it from there? Well, yeah, well, the only... the reason why we have
1: these um, complex neurological systems and these complex mirror neurons, the monoclonal neurons, why we have that, why we have a different kind of neurological system than other species is because the number one job of a human being is to be able to predict what another human being is going to do. That's really what those things are for. And that's what human relationship is about. Human beings develop in the context of a relationship, and that's why the DIR model really focuses on relationship and getting um, kids in a back-and-forth opening and closing circles and getting kids to be increasingly uh, working on shared social problem solving and getting kids through that shared social problem solving to jump to the symbolic level. That's what human development is about, and that's how human beings have always developed. We're talking about developmental challenges here. We're not talking about memory challenges.
0: Right, and some something that I heard recently is that Um, reading itself is not developmental, it's learned so for instance, um, one thing that is developmental is being in a relationship and being around, uh, when you're older, being around someone that's younger and helpless like a baby, brings out this natural caregiver urge in a human being and that is innate that's a developmental process that every human being will experience versus something like reading which is learned and um, when when we're trying to focus on development we're really focusing on um, getting to the point where you have different capacities that when you learn skills like reading they will make sense and, and you can apply them in ways that you've described before as opposed to um, you know, people thinking that reading is some developmental step that we all go through.
1: Well, uh, what you just said is exactly right. So there are discrete packets of things that you do have to learn. And if we all agreed in the society as we developed written language that we would represent things in a certain way, then you have to learn that encoding system. So that's discrete Little packets of things you have to learn. But you don't ever um, learn, it. but learning those discrete packets is not the same as understanding that, oh, I want to represent symbolically what I'm feeling inside. That's a developmental step. Once I have that feeling, My language takes off because I realize, oh, the purpose of language is to communicate with another human being, whether that be in writing, whether that be in spoken language, whether I don't have spoken language and I represent it in dance or in music or in a a million different ways. But to understand that the purpose of what what I'm trying to do and what this other person is trying to do is talk to me. Talk to the thing which is me. Um, so then, but reading is just, as you say, it's just a bunch of uh, you know things that need to be learned. But you don't learn them in any useful way unless you understand why you would even want to bother to try.
0: Yes, I think that's, that's a very that's a very important point. And the last, I would say, two or three months of blogs at Affect Autism have really focused on. Um, educating parents about the developmental approach. So what is this approach that we call the developmental approach that's very different from a behavioral perspective? And one thing that's really challenging for parents is trusting in this developmental process because, um, you know, we're so used to wanting to see results immediately and everybody posting on Facebook or whatever different um accolades that and and you know things that their children have done and, and look at what my kid can do, look at what my kid can do, or whatever it is. Um, trusting in that developmental process, which a lot of us have forgotten about that kids go through stages and they develop and even if we did nothing, there might be some development happening But when we have children that have different wiring in their brain and they have developmental challenges and they have sensory challenges, sensory processing challenges, um, being there to support and guide them through the developmental process can move them along in ways that they wouldn't otherwise have been able to do on their own. And I think that's a challenge for parents is trusting in this developmental process. So can you talk? to a little bit about um, how spending much more time working on these early foundational capacities for learning will and solidifying them and making them more robust will eventually be better later on so um, for instance you know our son is now eight years old when i was eight years old when my younger brother was eight years old I remember what we were doing. We were in grade three. We were reading up a storm. We were making all these imaginary um, lands in our room with our stuffed animals and creating all these dramas. And, and, you know, we we were doing so many things that my child is not able to do yet because he is still working at a, a functional emotional capacity where he is not symbolic yet. He is still in the concrete world. He is now able to have these back and forth interactions and socially problem-solve but he struggles with um, the higher capacities referring to um, imaginary play symbolic uh, logical bridges between ideas he's not quite there yet and yet time is passing by and kids his age are are reading they're doing math they understand things and you feel this pressure so how does the developmental process help him by us working on these capacities for a longer period of time and not worrying about that chronological age?
1: Well, so I actually think that um we we don't really understand always which thing held the kid back and we know that you have a sensory processing challenge perhaps and we We know that we have to support that. We have to help you integrate your view of the world. And that'll help drive the language. That'll help drive thinking. We know all of that. Um, But we don't really know why. So we go about really supporting that. And um, our job is to allow the space and the time and the support for a kid who has everything inside of him that he needs, but who has trouble putting it together in a coherent picture or has trouble processing at the speed that the society might demand of him, um, we hold the space for him and we support him in that space. And those things allow a kid to bloom into what he or she is going to actually be. This is a very, it's a respectful way of treating people as opposed to forcing some compliance, getting some um, simple, memory-based goals met, and then um, shoving a person in a direction you want them to go. But the most respectful thing you can do for parents is to show them that, look, your child has it. It's a matter of us supporting him, us scaffolding his uh, his challenges so that he can continue to bloom in that context. It's, it's a much different way of thinking. But, It results in this long-term learning that um, let's imagine that your son is now behind in certain academic skills. The truth is that a lot of the academic skills can be taught pretty quickly. I mean, you learn that in a college course, right? A Carnegie unit, which is 120 instructional hours, I think, which is what your college semester is based on. Um, you can learn an entire subject in that time if you're developmentally ready for it. So the panic about getting kids to get through those academics, truth is you could teach all of elementary school math in you know a couple months. It doesn't take that much if you're developmentally ready. If you're not developmentally ready, you can pound away at it all you want. And uh, you may get some addition, you may get some subtraction, you may even get multiplication because that's a memory-based task as well. You're going to have a real struggle when you get to division. Fractions are going to be a problem. Percentages of the impossible algebra, which requires a lot of symbolism, is a real challenge unless you learn some kind of logarithm, which kids do regularly learn and look you know, brilliant in some particular way. But that can be memory-based. So if you want to learn the uh, higher mass and you want to do all that, that's all developmental. You have to be at a higher developmental level. And you can get that very quickly. But if if you're not there developmentally, you can pound away at it forever and never get it.
0: Can you give a couple of examples? I've heard in some of your presentations online, you describe how some of these early foundational um, capacities and experiences prepare you for math, prepare you for logic, prepare you for reading. So um, can you just give some examples of precursors? Well, you know, so when you're in kindergarten, your
1: teacher tells you to line up at the door and uh, tells you to line up in height order, maybe one day, okay? who would like the shortest person at the front and the tallest person at the back. And you line up, and you don't think you're learning anything. But what you're learning is some really important things, and that is, for instance, that the order in which you do something actually matters. That proximity to somebody or something actually matters. So later on, when, for instance, you're trying to learn earth science, and you're trying to learn the from the outside of the earth, through the earth's crust to the earth's core, and trying to memorize those things. Um, it helps you to understand that proximity to something and the order in which it's done actually matters. The same thing if you were trying to learn, for instance, the order of operations in algebra. The order in which you do things actually matters, and you've learned all of that by standing in line at your kindergarten door um, and lining up by height, um, or that lighting a candle is symbolic of another year past, that the five candles on your birthday cake actually mean there are five years, they're representing something. Uh, that's symbolism. If you don't understand symbolism, then you're gonna have real trouble with um, understanding even simple concepts like a letter D does not always have to be the same. It can be in a lot of different typefaces and still stand for the same sound. So. Those early childhood experiences that we just take for granted, that we imagine somehow or just magically, you know, don't really matter, they're just things, those are the learning that we're talking about as foundation academics. When our kids have challenges with that, we have to go back and say, okay, what did our kid miss here? And how are we going to support them? And that's why you have to go back and do those foundation stages, because... Because without the foundation academics, secondary academics, which is what I'm calling what parents normally call academics, I call them secondary, because really they're secondary to to the real the real academics, which are what we're really going after um, in foundation academics. Um, without those foundation academics, secondary academics never stand up. The second you drop developmentally. You lose all of the things that you've just uh, cobbled together with your memory.
0: Yeah, you know, um, I have a bit of an example with our son. He loves model trains and real trains, and he's very excited when he sees a train. And he's now able to recognize so many different kinds of trains and right away say what it is. So, for example, he'll see a train and we'll say, "What train is that?" And he'll say, "Hudson." How do you know it's a Hudson? Because he sees it's a 4-6-4, four, four, the wheel configuration, which means there's four small wheels in the front, six big wheels in the middle, and four in the back. And I'm thinking in my head, this is an interest of his that he's so in love with that we can use that eventually down the line to use to teach math, because a 4, six, four means two wheels on the f- each side makes four, Three big wheels on each side makes six, and two wheels on each side makes four. So it's a four, six, four. And I, I hold up my fingers and I say four. I two on each hand, three fingers on each hand to say six, and two. And I say four, six, four, and then I move them around like wheels, chug, 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 and helping him sort of get ready for at some point he'll understand it. Whereas he's still at a stage where he's finally interested in counting the number of coach cars the train is pulling. But what he does is together we'll point to the car. One, two, three. And by the third or fourth one, he says five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, even though there might only be seven cars. So I think that's what you're talking about is he's, he's not yet connecting that each number that we're saying is representative of each car that we're pointing to. He's just sort
1: of, well, I think, so I so I actually think that he has some real number uh competency, right? If he is able to identify what is four and what is six and what is four, that's something. And certainly you'll be able to teach him addition and subtraction and all of those things, and that's all going to come. What I think we mean when we're talking about using a child's interest to help them move developmentally is the next question that I'd really like him to answer is, so... You know, you know that's a Hudson and that's a four six four. Why do you think there's four wheels on the front and on the back, but there are six in the middle? I really wonder why they did that. And we want him to be someone who could then begin to imagine what it might mean that you need six wheels to support that centerpiece, but four wheels need to be on the front and the back and What that means about physics, and what that means about going around a turn, and why only four wheels could make it around the turn if you're on the front or on the back because of the arc that you're doing, but in the middle you could have six because six wheels don't necessarily have to describe the same arc. You know, let them think about all of those things, and that's what we're talking about with higher developmental stuff. Versus the
0: 282 Mikado train that has two wheels four big wheels on each side, and two, why is that? So you might say, hmm, I wonder why that has a different number of wheels.
1: And you might say, hmm, did you notice that there's something similar about those two different trains, right? That they they both have, you know, what do you imagine that is? And then you might say, well, you know, there's smaller numbers of wheels at the front and back and more in the middle. And then you have a, well, I wonder why that." Is. Let's think about that. That's the kind of academics that I want a 21st century kid to be getting. Not, let's see how fast we can get you to compute. Let's see how fast we can get you to regurgitate facts. Let's see how fast you can dump the rocks out of the bucket in your head, um, which is totally useless stuff. Let's see if you can then say, oh, this this engineer, the person who designed the train, not the person the engineer who's driving it, but the person who designed the train must have been solving some problem. What's the problem that he's solving? And then you learn a lot.
0: Yes, that's great and um, unfortunately I think our society and our culture doesn't really support this type of approach. Um, I wish that we had schools everywhere that understood what these foundational capacities are about and can really support children with sensory needs because as of course you know even some of our kids that get into levels five and six have such holes at the first and second developmental capacities when their sensory system throws them off that we need to go back and support those earlier capacities maybe on an hourly basis Um, and to have a school that can support that, you know, it, so many kids are lacking that.
1: Well, so let's, let's fight for schools that really support the notion of no child left inside, um, that really support kids moving their bodies in three-dimensional space, um, kids climbing trees, kids playing um, with less instructional support on playgrounds so that they can work out problems and do the playground politics that they need. Let's have them um, being able to appreciate the world around them instead of putting them at desks and putting them at worksheets and putting them at things that um, you know, somehow the society thinks are going to be useful for them but which in fact hold them back.
0: Well last question Dr. Tippy, have you seen, can you give us even general, not specific, or specific if you want, examples of children that you've seen having these struggles early on, and you've seen them over the years, whether it be five or ten years later, and how they have thrived? Uh, Well, I mean, I think you know the answer to that, that
1: this happens all the time. Kids get appropriate developmental support. They look like they have tremendous challenges as young people, and they scoot off into uh, more or less typical um, educational settings and, and disappear and go off and just live their lives. It happens all the time if kids get appropriate developmental support. It has to be respectful. It has to be developmental. It has to meet the kid where he is. and You have to be a really skilled person to do it. Uh, It takes a lot of training. Teachers work really, really, really hard to do it. It isn't just rote. They're not taking it out of a textbook. Um, But when it it happens, it's amazing, and it happens all the time, and I've seen it over and over and over and over and over again. And not just, I will point out to you, uh, folks who are younger, this is not a purely younger person's intervention. You know, I see people at 35 who um, have had some challenges and have you know not been able to get out of their parents' home and have sat on the couches in their parents' basement and who suddenly uh, through a lot of support move up developmentally and say, oh, well now's the time for me to move out into the world. The beautiful thing about a developmental challenge is not that you know parents get told all the time, oh, the window is closing, the window is closing, you have to do this now, the window is going to close. The truth is a developmental challenge actually means that the window stays open. So let's continue to support kids and let's give them time and space. There'll be plenty of time for what parents think of as traditional academics and which I think of as secondary academics. And let's give them foundation academics and get them to be the uh, free thinking um, spirits in the world that they are destined to be.
0: Well, thank you so much, Dr. Tippy. I have to say that I saw you speak for the first time in Mississauga, Ontario, outside of Toronto, and you showed videos of children that were my son's age at the time, you know, under five years old, and who I thought had many more challenges than my own challenged son had, and you showed videos of that same child ten years later, and oh my goodness, I had the tears welling up in my eyes, and I'm... Thinking about it now makes me uh, (laughs) viklempt because it really gave me hope that you know what, like this is the way to go. I already had the the inclination that this. I was so happy to have found EIR floor time, but when I saw those videos, it was like proof in front of my eyes. And now I see it happening in my own child. He has a long way to go. I just want to encourage parents that you do need to be patient and trust in the developmental process um but it it really pays off if you do because when you try and take shortcuts and you know like you said force the rocks in the bag uh just so you can collect a bunch of memories and skills what are you left with it's it's a cheaper version of a uh, less rich version of a person that that you could be when you trust in the developmental process and see what your child has to offer in his or her own time and it's it's wonderful so thank you so much for talking with us today about all of this, and I hope um, our listeners appreciate it as much as I do.
1: (laughs) Well, thank you so much, and let's not make it uh, another long period between when we talk again.
0: Awesome. Okay, thank you so much, Dr. Tippy, and until next time, here's to affecting autism.